Well, good morning. It's good to see so many of you here today. I have to say, I am so happy to be gathered together again in person. And um, then what happens afterwards, the fellowship, uh, catching up with so many of you, has just been glorious. In fact, about two or three weeks ago, I said to Nancy after we got home, I don't think I've, at least in my recent memory, been happier <laughs> walking away from a Sunday morning than I was on that day to uh, worship through song, uh, sitting under God's word, and then to fellowship with you has just been tremendous. And I have to say that um, arriving here early, which I did not do today, for some reason in my mind, I had the 9.30 start time in my head. And I was so impressed that you were here so early, even 30 minutes ahead of time, only to realize I was walking in just as Kenny was calling us to order. But um, uh, I, I usually get here about seven something on a Sunday morning, and there are already a team of people here uh, uh, pulling out cable and wires and setting up the platform and popping up the uh, covers and, and all that. So it's just uh, the, all the work that has gone into this has been very encouraging, and I'm grateful. Well, we are in Psalm 119 this morning. It's the final sermon in our current series, officially known as uh, Summer Psalms, but unofficially known as Sweating Through the Psalms, or Psalms Under the Palms. As Jackson mentioned, next Sunday we'll be in our new series, Walk with the Wise, uh, in the book of Proverbs. We'll do a reading service on the 6th, and then Eric Tonis will preach the kickoff sermon on the 13th. Uh, Proverbs and Psalms are two of seven books that are known as uh, wisdom and poetic literature. Uh, Proverbs mostly contains wisdom literature, uh, the Psalter, poetic literature. But Psalm 119, the passage at which we're looking this morning, contains uh, both, making it a, a perfect chapter on which to pivot from our summer series on into the autumn one. Now, if Psalm 119 is known for anything, it's known for at least these two things. Number one, it is the longest uh, psalm in the Psalter uh, and the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses total. It is longer than 14 Old Testament books, 17 New Testament books, 31 Bible books in total. Uh, that's almost uh, half the books in the Bible. Now, the, the prodigious length of Psalm 119 is effectively illustrated in a well-traveled story of 19th century, uh, 17th century uh, Bishop of Edinburgh, George Wishart. Uh, he was on the scaffold. He was ready to be executed for his gospel convictions when he took advantage of a custom that allowed for a psalm to be sung just before one was put to death. Well, Wishart knew that a pardon was supposed to be on its way. And so he shrewdly requested that all 176 verses of Psalm 119 be sung. And as you can guess, uh, uh, they were no more than two-thirds of the way through the psalm, and uh, the pardon arrived, and Wishart's life was saved. 
So the first thing we know about Psalm 119 is its length, but better than that is its topic. And Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Psalm 119 is Scripture on Scripture. And it contains some of the best-known Bible verses on the topic, some of which have already been read this morning. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's verse 11. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That's verse 89. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's verse 105. Psalm 119, in its content, that is to say what's in it, uh, its composition, the way it's structured, uh, in terms of its length, and its location right there in the middle of the Bible, accentuates the importance of God's word to the Lord and to his people. In Jesus' day, it was the first passage, first Bible passage memorized by Hebrew children. We give them John 3.16. First century Hebrew children received all 176 verses of Psalm 119. And why not? Because it perfectly describes the person that we all want to be, exemplified in the first two verses of this book. That one who neither listens to nor partners with the wicked, but regularly delights in and meditates on the law of the Lord. And that law is mentioned in every single verse of this chapter, but for two. Now, having heard just what has been spoken so far, my hunch is this, that some of you are already beginning to disengage. And you're disengaging because this all sounds so familiar. This all sounds so grace. This all sounds so cerebral at a time when we need something for our hearts. And I get it with all the political rancor and the social unrest and, and the COVID uncertainties. So before I go any farther, I want to tell you why I picked Psalm 119 to uh, preach on this morning. And it's simply because maybe you're like me or like I was. I grew up in a Christian home, a Bible-believing church. I earned degrees in Bible and theology, both as an undergrad and a graduate student. I taught and preached the word from the scriptures as a ministerial intern and then a full-time pastor. The point that I'm telling, the point in telling you all of this is simply this. If anyone had been around the Bible and handled the Bible and thought that he knew the Bible, it was me. But then, in my early 30s, in my early 30s, I began to approach the Bible on its own terms. Apart from being that thing on which I was raised, in which I was educated, from which I uh, uh, wrote articles and preached sermons. I began to engage the Bible for myself uh, on a regular basis, not just as convenient, but with some consistency. A and I engaged it personally, not just as a, as a book to mind exercise, but a person to 
to person encounter. And I engaged it prayerfully, not simply to uh, retain the information that I was reading, but to respond to what I had read. And after the first year of doing that, a number of things began to occur in my life. I'm just going to mention two. First of all, I, I noticed that most of what I knew about the Bible, I had either been to told about the Bible or I had read about the Bible, but I'd never really read the Bible. So that, uh, that was a huge uh, wake up. Second, I began to notice that a steady diet of scripture was changing my life. My faith was being strengthened, a la Romans 10, 17. My behavior was being not just reformed, but transformed. I was being made into someone that I could not have otherwise become, Psalm 119, 11. My mind was being sharpened, Romans 12, 2. All for which I was deeply grateful, and especially during the subsequent dark and desperate days of uh, my clinical depression, uh, some later family health crises, and then personal job loss some years after that. So the thing that I thought I had as a young adult, uh, uh, that is some sort of grasp on the scripture is the very thing that I lacked. I, I, I viewed myself to be like one of these lively palms when in fact I was really like that lifeless one back there, which is actually a cell tower. It, it's no palm at all. So since our uh, psalm is a little too long and our, our time is way too short, this morning, I want to give you three brief bits from Psalm 119 that I pray will help you to authentically engage with God through the scripture, on its own terms, in a deep and meaningful way. So here they are. Bit number one, when you come to scripture, ask God for help. You're not alone. Ask God for help. Number two. When you come to scripture, don't just read it, meditate on it. Meditate on it. And number three, when you come to scripture, expect to find comfort. So ask God for help. Don't just read it, meditate on it, and expect to find comfort. That's our way forward this morning. So... Uh, let's begin with uh, when you come to Scripture, ask God for help, because reading the Bible can be a challenge. Now, with a little effort, some of those challenges um, can be met by ourselves, like dealing with historical context and uh, writing style and word use and all that sort of stuff. But there's a kind of challenge that requires not just a level of knowledge, but a level of understanding that only God can provide. 
Every Bible teacher acknowledges that challenge upon reading over his or her passage for the first time. I'm sure when Sherry Hara is preparing a Thursday night Bible study and, and, and she reads uh, her passage for that night, first time through, she says, well, Lord, I know what it says, but I have no idea what it means. I think any teacher or preacher can resonate with that. Even the Apostle Peter acknowledged that challenge when he admitted there are some things in Scripture that are hard to understand. 2 Peter 3.16. And that challenge shouldn't surprise us because our minds are finite. God's mind is infinite. And I'm thankful for a God whose mind is far superior to my own. Gratefully, for those who ask, God gives help to read and understand the Bible. Consider these uh, heartfelt requests from the psalmist. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 18. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Verse 27. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding. Verses 33, 34, and 64. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 66. Teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Verses 124 and 125. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Verse 169. But the cries of the psalmist don't end there. Because God's word isn't just meant to be uh, known and understood. It's meant to give life. It, it, it's meant to... Uh, animate us. It's, it's the dynamism by which we live. It's not just a head encounter. It's a whole person, a heart and head encounter. So he goes on, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Verse 144. Verse 156. Give me life. How? According to your rules. Could it be that you don't understand the scripture because you've never asked God to open your eyes to it and to teach it to you? That you've never implored him to make you understand it? Could it be that your existence this morning is listless and apathetic because you fail to understand the connection between God's word and your life. Your, your head by which we learn the scripture and your heart by which we live it out. Scripture's clear. The word has to come out of our heart, but it's equally clear that it gets there by way of our head. Again, this is a whole person exercise. So this tells me that scripture is more than just a matter of reading. It's coming to the scripture, reading, and praying. Praying over what you will read. Praying as you read. Praying over what you read. 
reading and praying are as inextricably linked as word and spirit. It's impossible to engage one without the other. The, the writing of a sermon is an entire exercise, not just in research, but in prayer. It's one preparation is prayer. So that's the first bit with which I want to encourage you. When you come to the scripture, don't go it alone. Ask God for his help. Bit number two. Don't just read it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. As exemplified by the psalmist, I will meditate on your precepts, verses 15 and 78. I will meditate on your statutes, verses 23 and 48. I will meditate on your promise. Andrew Bonar was a beloved uh, minister in 19th century Scotland. Uh, he described on one occasion meeting one who had meditated through the Bible three times. Not read the Bible three times, but meditated through the Bible three times. And that's what the psalmist is encouraging, going past reading and meditating. Well, what does it mean to meditate? Well, remember these three R's. It means to read, remember, and reflect. Read. Prayerfully interact with the Scripture in the moment. And then remember it, that is, take it with you on into the day. And then as you do, reflect or, um, more literally, talk it over with yourself. Uh, ruminate on it. Cogitate on it. Contemplate it. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with, with J.I. Packer. Uh, the well-known uh, and now late uh, Bible scholar and theologian. And we were talking at one point about his now classic book, Knowing God. And I'll always remember Packer referring to it as a chewy book. <laughs> a chewy book. He said, you've got to read a little bit and then chew on it. And then read a little bit more and chew on that. And that's exactly what meditation is. It's chewing on God's word. But we're not so good at that, are we? Um, first, to meditate requires that I think for myself. But why should I think for myself when there are plenty of people who are anxiously willing to do the thinking for me? So I let the networks or the podcasts or the blog posts figure it all out for me, and then instead of uh, even meditating on the word itself, uh, I'll gladly let my thinker of choice uh, meditate on it for me. So that's one reason why we're not so good at meditating. We let others do the thinking for us. But a second reason is that meditation requires time. And I don't have much. I'm, I'm too busy. And to be sure, we're all very busy. Modern conveniences have made, really haven't made life simpler, 
but rather have made it more complex because we can jam more into a day with greater ease than ever before. So here are three ways that I've been able to take back ground in my personal fight for time. Now, I'm going to tell you these three things, but before I do, I want to make it perfectly clear that if, if you're taking notes on a, on a device or with a pen and pencil, you can take those and put them down because what I'm going to say is not from the Bible. So these are in no way uh, laws or commands. You should in no way bind your conscience. Um, these are just things that have worked for me, and they might work for you too. So I, I give them... Uh, uh, just by way of suggestion. First, when I exercise, I have found it helpful to do so with nothing in my ears, either earbuds in or beats on. Uh, that helps me to better connect with what's around me, the, the, the people, the places, the things. But furthermore, it helps me to better connect with what's inside of me, especially in my head and my heart. Uh, over the years, I have made more progress on preparing sermons while walking or uh, riding a bike than even in the quiet of my own study. So I found it helpful to exercise without anything in my ears and mention it to you as uh, something that may be helpful for you as well. Second, when I drive, I find it helpful to sometimes do so in silence. So in the morning, that allows me to take the Bible passage that I read with my coffee and contemplate on it as I drive to work. At night, it allows me to uh, uh, take all that dust that's been kicked up in my head and my heart throughout the course of the day and help it to settle by way of meditating, contemplating, ruminating on God's word. So I, I found driving in silence to be helpful too. The third thing I found to be helpful is limiting the features on my phone. That's the hard one. For me, I've limited my phone to talk and text. Now, this is not an expression of my superiority. It is, in fact, an expression of my weakness. And I know it's a weakness that some of you share. You see, if I carried ready access to the world, I'm just speaking for myself here. If I carried ready access to the world on my person, I would use it to remain connected and current as well as burdened and anxious. I would. I know myself. I know that if I, I had to read my Bible on my device while I was notified of incoming texts and emails and updates, I'd look at the texts and emails and updates instead of my Bible. You, you don't have that problem. I do, and a few others like me do as well. So for those of you that find that a challenge, uh, life is a little less convenient without all those apps and whatnot filling my screen, but it's entirely doable and even enjoyable. 
So the first bit, when you come to Scripture, ask God for help. Second, when you come to Scripture, don't just read it, but meditate on it. Chew on it. And third, when you come to Scripture, expect to find comfort. Expect to find comfort. Don't just cross your fingers, so to speak, and hope you'll find it. Expect to find it. Um, there's a lot of trouble in this world. There's a lot of pain in this world. The world at large, and then uh, the world right here at Grace. I, I think about the things for which the elders pray even this morning. Uh, tenuous marriages, uh, fragile health, delicate emotions. But gratefully, the psalmist identifies with our pain. My soul melts away for sorrow. Verse 28. The cords of the wicked ensnare me, and many are my persecutors and adversaries. Verses 61 and 157. I am severely afflicted. Verse 107. I am small and despised, verse 141. Trouble and anguish have found me out, verse 143. Now, what's helpful to notice is that the psalmist looks for his comfort. He admits to these things, but he looks for his comfort not by way of self-medication or self-indulgence or self-harm, but by way of God's word. So, so hear these passages again, but this time in, in total. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The cords of the wicked ensnare me. I don't forget your law. Many are my persecutors and adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are even my delight. Now, looking for comfort in God's word doesn't mean that it will come to us according to our schedule, right? when we want it to. Hear, 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 hear the psalmist on that. My eyes long for your promise. And I ask, when will you comfort me? Verse 82, when will you comfort me? But the beautiful thing to see is that comfort does come. And it comes on God's terms and in his time. So the psalmist writes, where is my comfort in affliction? It is in your promise that gives me life, verse 50. What is the source of my comfort? It is your rules from of old, verse 52. Where is the comfort of your steadfast love? It is in the promise to your servant, verse 76. So in your pain, where are you expecting to find your comfort? in your distress and disappointment, in your heightened anxiety, in your difficult diagnosis, 
in your troubled relationships, in your embattled workplace, in your uncertain future, in your shattered confidence, in this troubled world, in this tested system? Where are you expecting to find your comfort? Psalm 119 tells us you can expect to find comfort in God and that by way of his word. Well, Psalm 119 contains more than these three encouragements to strengthen our hearts. But here's what I find in conclusion especially encouraging. God's word in print was fulfilled by God's word in person. God's word in print was fulfilled by God's word in person. Jesus Christ, who said that when it comes to asking God for help, he said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. That's his personal promise to you and me. He also said when it comes to meditating or, or chewing on God's word, he said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, the living word, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus Christ, who said when it comes to expecting comfort from God, he said, you know, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter, not just, not just some abstract thing for which we're longing, not just some principle that we can grasp and, and pull to ourselves, but an actual person, the comforter. The comforter will not come to you, but if I go, I will send the comforter to you. A couple of chapters before that, Jesus referred to the comforter as the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1.27, Paul calls him Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we read God's word in print, there's a dynamic relationship between it and God in person who lives within us by way of his spirit, Christ, our hope of glory. So as we come to scripture prayerfully and, and contemplatively and expectantly, let us remember that we're not just coming to the word in print. We're coming to the word in person who hears us and bears us up, even in our travail. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, with our, your word in our laps, and we pray, Lord, help us to know it and understand it. Help us to have a relationship with it that's, that's not just one of reading, but reading and prayerfully responding. May we come, Lord, to your word, not just seeking to find information, but truly finding and realizing the comfort that only you can give by way of what's in print. But more than that, by way of the one who fulfilled all those words before us, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.